Hi, hi, everybody. Uh, thank you for listening to I Want You to Watch This, and welcome to 2019. This will be our first Happy episode of the year. year. Yeah. <laughs> From everyone here at IW, I Want You to Watch This, uh, yeah, have a happy new year. We hope it's full of great movies. Uh, if you are listening right now, we hope that you will click subscribe to whatever listening service that you're listening to. Follow us on Spotify. Follow us on SoundCloud. Subscribe to us on Podbean, Stitcher, any of the apps that you use. iTunes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just hit that subscribe button as soon as you hear this come up. Just do it, please. And also please. just hit that rate and review button. Yes. Rate us, review us. It helps us grow our audience. So yes, if, our, if your service does have a rate and review function, please rate and review us. Um, I know that iTunes does, so hit us up on there. Let us know. Um, again, we're starting a new year. Uh, we were going to be trying some new things. Let us know what you think. We like love constructive criticism. Constructive <laughs> criticism is more than welcome. So yeah, if you have any ideas of how you think the show could be better or anything that you want to just let us know that we're doing well, we would love to hear it. Uh, so yeah, and with that, let's get on with the show. because we originally were going to see Welcome to Marwin, the dramatic version of this story. The, like, biopic of this yes. gentleman. And yeah. then I started getting texts from you all that were, like, the headlines. Do you want to tell some of the headlines about their early reviews? Of the there was one that said, like, Welcome to Marwin is, like, the worst movie that anyone involved in it has ever been. <laughs> yeah, which is, like, sad. Because yes. I, <laughs> I wanted to watch it mostly because I saw... Janelle Monae in the trailer, exactly. and I was like, "Oh yeah, Steve Carell, Janelle Monae's in this. Let's check this out." And then like the reviews started coming in, and it was like every single one was like, "This is bad." Yeah, I think the AV Club in the headline said "disastrous." Yeah. So we started be thinking maybe we shouldn't see this, and so then I watched the trailer, and I was like, "Oh no, this is another Robert Zemeckis on Canny Valley movie." So. The first so, being the Polar Express. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, what is the Uncanny Valley effect? Yeah, so the Uncanny Valley, it's kind of, it's easier to describe visually than it is um, through speaking. So if you're listening, go ahead and Google Uncanny Valley and a chart will pop up. Um, the visual aid really helps. But it's when human-like things, either robots or computer-generated animation, almost look human, but not quite. They like miss the mark. And they're a little bit too familiar, but not quite right. And that, that produces a feeling of like revulsion or disgust. Um, the best description, the best pop description I've seen of it is in 30 Rock. I don't know if you guys have seen that episode where um, Frank describes the Uncanny Valley in terms of Star Wars. He's like, okay, so we're okay with human-like robots, kind of like R2-D2, right? It doesn't look anything like a human, so it's safe. We, we don't feel weird about it. And then you, you start kind of moving up the graph. C-3PO, human-like, but still kind of robotic. Yeah. And then as you keep going up the graph, you hit like Han Solo, like a real human being, right? <laughs> and so in that graph, somewhere in between C-3PO and Han Solo, 
you fall into this valley. That's the uncanny valley part of the uncanny valley, which is where like all the CGI stormtroopers live and things yeah, that like almost they look, look real. Yeah. So can you try and describe? Oh, like, well, that was, so so that was like the uh, Tarkin in um, yes. Rogue oh, One yes. has a little bit of that feel where it's like it's it. You can tell they're like trying really hard to make it look real, but there's just like some sort of disconnect to where the moment I saw it on screen, it was like, ooh. That's a little unsettling. Yes, that's the that's this definition <laughs> of uncanny. Or Tom Hanks in the Polar Express. <laughs> like it, it, you can tell that that looks a lot like Tom Hanks, and it's very close to being Tom Hanks, but it's not Tom Hanks, and it's creepy. Yes, 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 yes. And it's exactly that creepiness that um, that a lot of filmmakers try and avoid. So um, the term originally comes from robotics, uh, Japanese roboticist, writing in 1970, I think to say like, hey, look, we should make robots that are stylized, like C-3PO or in that realm. The moment you try and make them look too real, they fall into this valley and people become really upset and freaked out by them. In fact, um, Aisha Sagan, who's a cognitive scientist, hi Aisha, if you're listening, hope you're well. She studies animals in the uncanny valley and lots of other things, so you guys should check out um, her research. It's really awesome. But um, what's, her, coming, what's her name? Aisha Sagan, yep. So um, uh, coming back to film though, there's a great, I, th I was trying to think of a good contrast. So Gore Verbinski, when he was making um, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one, uh, what's the name of the character that has the- Barbosa? No, the technical, like the, Davy Jones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, I saw him speak on it and he was like, yeah, so Davy Jones in that movie is CGI, obviously, right? And they wanted it to look realistic, but not, and kind of scary and weird, but not Uncanny Valley. He had a whole team of animators whose job it was to keep that character out of the Uncanny Valley, right? That it should feel scary and um, alarming, but not disgusting, revulsion, like <laughs> deep animal hatred, something's wrong here. Um, so, so I don't know why Robert Zemeckis has not learned <laughs> since the Polar Express to not, oh gosh, yeah. So part of the reason we didn't watch this is because of the idea of sitting for an hour and a half in the Uncanny Valley, I can't handle it. It's the CGI characters who look almost real but miss the mark and fall into this disgusting pit of revulsion yeah. so instead we decided to do the documentary which i think was probably a very good call yes. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh the documentary is marwin call uh and it's a, the story of mark hogan camp uh who is um again we'll be starting with spoiler free review and um it is about mark hogan camp who is uh, a man who gets beaten to within an end of his life, um, loses all memory uh, prior to him leaving the hospital after being in a coma for, I think it was, what, 12 days? He starts building this town made out of um, these dolls that he gets, and he starts creating these imaginary sequences because he's trying to um, use it as a way to get back in touch with himself. Like I, One of the lines I think that he says is, um, you know, the first step is that he has to work uh, to recovering himself is through his imagination uh and so that's what this movie is about is his journey through through this town that he's through creating his Kong. own like little world that he populates with these dolls and a lot of them are based on or resembling people in his real life yeah. and so he has these sort of like imagined interactions with like his alter ego um and all these other people from 
his life. And largely set during World War II. Yep. Yep. And with a kind of Germans and Americans getting along in this town of his, except for the SS. Right? The SS who comes in. Um, and maybe, maybe it's the same number of SS agents who beat him up. And there's some parallels there in terms of kind of working through trauma. I thought it was a very interesting look at a person who, um, again, is a human being and is very obviously like flawed. As we go through the movie, we kind of like find out, you know, before he was lost his memory, you know, he, you know, may have had like some issues with like alcohol abuse. Um, and we kind of get this uh, sense of um, there's some interesting things with his like relationship to women and femininity um, that. Uh, again, come up. We'll talk about we'll that in the next section. This, this will come up very um, heavily in the post. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there's there are some things there to where before this reveal is made, are um, you kind of wonder where they come from, um, especially with like a lot of the things like where when he first comes into the town, he's the only man, and there's like I think it was like 27 like women like in the, and he was the only man in this whole town, uh, and so. Oh, um, so yeah, yeah. So I think the film does an interesting job of kind. Of, uh, again, we'll talk about this later in the sec- uh, the spoiler section, but it does a nice job of kind of laying out that you have some questions here about both his motivation and why is he doing this. And I think that at its best, this film does a really nice job of kind of trying to pull apart very narrow categories that we have for things, right? Yeah. Like, um, being the division between being able-bodied or disabled, right? The division between kind of reality and fantasy of man and woman, of normal, quote-unquote, I'm doing air quotes, normal and quote-unquote crazy. Yeah, like neurotypical. Neurotypical, exactly. Um, And then having kind of a solid identity of oneself that's a fixed thing versus it being a fluid thing that changes over time. And that certainly is extremely... um, uh, uh, or it's, this is an extreme case where he really has lost his identity, is kind of slowly rebuilding it. Yeah, I mean, my first thoughts of this movie is like, I don't really know how I feel about it because I think it's well done. It's an interesting story. He's like an interesting guy. And exactly what you were saying, I like the way it pulls apart like all these different threads. But it also kind of feels a, almost a little predatory to me in a way. Because, I mean... Wait, wait. So his actions do or the filmmaker's actions both. do? Both. Yeah. <laughs> um, because, like, both his actions but also us, like, looking at him in this way. Because, like, you're just looking so closely at his loneliness and at his... Um, and it's a kind of examination of this guy who really should be getting some help. And instead he's just divulging into his world instead of like forging human relationships yeah and i well so i think that there's uh two ends to that as far as the help that he needs because it is kind of like and again there's always this thing where these stories are portrayed as like oh this person is like able to triumph with like you know this thing or without that thing and i feel like at the end of the day it's never really examined in terms of like um the system that we live in to yes. where like yes. this person was literally like given like kicked like essentially like kicked out of the hospital was like okay like you've run out of like you know your insurance you've run out of you know like your therapy sessions so like he doesn't even necessarily have access to you know the therapy that he needs to the resources that he needs to actually cope with this yes. which so, i don't think is ever addressed in the movie no, either no that's not addressed and then it's introduced kind of uh, early on that there's a kind of local photographer who's got become interested in him and takes these kind of weird 
photographs of him from afar, like almost like a Yeti sighting or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the, it's, it's interesting in kind of an art context. And then there's a second person who later um, puts his works in a gallery in Chelsea, I think in Chelsea, in, in New York. And then um, eventually, and then there's the film that's happening. We the, we the three of us watch this one together. And Craig, I think you said it exactly. Like I actually wrote it down. You when the first time one of the artists came up who want to help him have a career, you said, "What are you getting out of this?" Yeah, it's because yeah. it, it really That's felt it. like that. Like immediately, like as he was talking about the, like, because it was again he'd been taking pictures kind of from a distance, never really going up to him, and then once he finally does, it just really felt like everything that he was doing was like, "Well, what can I do to, like." highlight this guy but in a way that I also end up being Benefit. like a part of this story or like I also get something out of this and I it was who was the other guy there was another guy that was um, like the editor of like a magazine and I felt like he was a good juxtaposition to that guy because he actually it actually felt for him like he was actually wanting to help Mark get through like this like help him like actually um, you know have a moment to like have some time to process what he was going through through his art and recognizing that and I feel like that was a good difference of like okay I actually I feel like a little bit more like justified in like saying that and that guy the other guy like left the documentary pretty quickly the photography guy uh, and then the editor stayed around for like through the end of the rest of the movie or the yeah. documentary yeah. and I felt like that was a really good uh, a really interesting <laughs> change of pace yeah place. a change of pace and yeah again that it's the kind of Framed as that, or he's being framed as what's called outsider art. So, in the academic art community, outsider art, think of people who make paintings in jail or in prison who have no art training that then get their works exhibited at a fancy gallery or something. So, it's the idea that you don't have any training, that you're kind of outside the art world, and kind of bringing that it's kind of an elite class that brings quote unquote good outsider artwork into a more conventional art world setting and so that is definitely a theme that's like running through the movie and I feel it when I'm like I, I feel comfortable about how the documentary is positioning itself that way because um, it never really takes a clear stance on its own involvement with Mark yeah should we move to spoilers <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's not I don't really know much. If there's more much that we can talk about in this without getting without into getting spoilers. spoilers. So. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we will be right back with our spoiler-filled review uh, to finish out the rest of this documentary. spoilers <laughs> so I feel kind of weird having it be a spoiler in a documentary right that that's yeah. like an odd thing anyhow but at almost exactly the one hour mark this new piece to the puzzle is revealed um, and there are hints about it along the way yeah, not so subtle hints yes. throughout so, the entire film so the first one that I caught was that, that he has a um, it's just in the background of one of the you know uh, scenes where he's being interviewed but it's he's a framed picture of Marilyn Monroe on his wall right like okay huh 
Then there's a comment about sling, uh, uh, slingbacks, the shoes. Yeah, yeah, Manolo slingbacks. Yes, and so uh, okay that we have a you know straight hetero guy who. And he's he's very hetero, and he is making that very clear oh, throughout yeah. the first hour. Because yes. yeah, there's one point where he literally says, you know, like my friends ask like if we can get any like guys, and he's like, like, what do you want to be like? You know, gay, gay like, town, yeah, gay a bunch town, of yeah. guys. <laughs> yes, he stresses how much he loves women and talks about gay town, and then. Somewhere around the one hour, I think it's almost exactly the one hour mark, you start seeing that he has um, both a toe ring and has painted his toenails pink. And then that kind of has a shift. Yeah. Uh, and we discovered that uh, Mark was originally beat up because he's a cross-dresser. And... So it's like a hate crime. Yeah. <laughs> it's... <laughs> it's... I... I was thrown for a loop. I know that you kind of, you kind of said that you heard I already about knew it before. This. I, yeah, I knew and, this going into the movie. Uh, and I feel like it makes some sense to like because of how he his relationship to women within this imaginary town that he has. Uh, it is this weird uh, like. I think it was kind of like this closed off sense of like trying to find that like femininity of him like having been beat up because of that and his brain trying to like protect itself from like re-experiencing that trauma yes. uh, and so like it, but he just couldn't help leaking it out yes uh, and that's where i feel um deja torres comes into play because within the world that he's built like everything is like dolls but it's also like realistic nothing is like there's no like elements of like fantasy to it other than this one character who is like this blue-haired witch who time travels and I feel like is even like an alter ego to his alter ego. Yes. So like the character that he's built within this world, I feel like that is even an alter ego because she keeps coming in as like a deus ex moment in these deus ex moments to yes. save his character. Yeah, like for there's one instance where he's kind of in love with his next door neighbor who's a married woman and so he has her in his town and his alter ego is in a relationship with her and then when she kind of becomes uncomfortable with this the witch makes that woman disappear yeah yeah yeah, yeah and all it is is just a shot of her shoes that are you know when yeah. she once was standing there's now just shoes poof poof the, what is it the Belgian witch is that her name yeah, yeah, she is a Belgian. Yeah, yeah. Deja Torres, the Belgian witch of Marwin Call. There yeah, yes. <laughs> Who t whose time uh, machine is an old VHS tape that ate one of Mark's best pornos. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually love the time machine. It's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, the no, time I was machine like, was pretty good. That was like amazing. I was like, he built that whole thing, and it looks pretty awesome. Um, I, yeah, I, I guess I have part of like why like I, uh, uh, sorry. So uh, before we started, uh, Colin was bringing up that uh, this, the director is primarily, most of his work is done as an editor. And so I think it's an interesting editing choice to not introduce one of the kind of central things about this world and, and the um, kind of subject, the, the person who's being, um, whose documentary it's about, until the one hour mark. That's a really important thing. And so part of me was really frustrated and irritated that like, I think this was 2010, the idea that an audience couldn't have empathy with this man if they knew from the beginning that he was a cross-dresser, right? That it's like... They have to like build up all of this like... Yeah, we emotional... have to build sympathy for him first. And then when we find out that he's queer, then it's like, oh, well, it's all right. But he's... Because we already know him and we already like him. And it's... Exactly. And that like t the idea that it's a hate crime 
kind of makes you, it kind of colors the entire hour that came before it in, I guess, an interesting way, but part of me is deeply frustrated and irritated that this could not be part of the, kind of, the origin story. We see the photographs of the, we, uh, of the beating, of, you know, him in the hospital. We have interviews with the police person, you know, the police who were there. We have interviews with his attorney. We have, like, all this stuff, and then, but, yeah, it, it is frustrating. Yeah. And I'm not sure if it's because they thought that that would be you know, kind of more dramatic to kind of put it later, or maybe it's in Mark's journey that he was more comfortable in talking about it later, or that this was coming, one of the things that was kind of coming back from earlier in his life. But part of me feels it's deeply cynical, the idea that an audience, I mean, I, I get it, that a grown adult man playing with dolls is already in the realm of kind of, quote unquote, potentially deviant behavior. I'm using air quotes for all of this. <laughs> like, um, I get that. So, and then to also have this additional component, but I, I, I don't know. I feel there's something about it that doesn't sit right with me. Yeah. And I think that, again, it kind of comes back to, I don't know like what happened to him after this whole documentary. Like, I don't know like where he's at today or what's going on with him, but um, Let's hope we got some money from the from like, Welcome to yeah. Marley. Yeah, I hope that Zemeckis gave him. I a hope pretty he's big got project. like a whole landscape now. It's not just a town. He's got like a yeah, yeah. Like, whole country. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like I do wonder, like you know, if he's recovered, like his memories, like how much of that, like he has recovered, and also just I don't know. I don't know if I would look back on this like as that person and feel taken advantage of as someone who's like come out like multiple times to multiple groups of people it's just one of those things where it's just like exhausting and it's like you never know it's like all this anxiety and it's just like one of those things where it would just be great if no one ever like had to come out again because it was just like everybody's just like who they are and we're all just like okay with it yeah and then there were no problems Yeah. yeah uh and so i feel like for this movie to make that reveal in the way that it is and again which is um Again, not to say that he's not, like, even, like, a heterosexual man, because, like, he could still very much be heterosexual and still be a cross-dresser. Like, it is... Yeah, it's, yes. it's, it's a very yeah. broad spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, and I don't know if the documentary itself, and maybe that's intentional, like, really delves into any of that commentary of, like, you know, maybe it just wants to present it at face value, but I feel like if it did want it to do that, that it should have just been at face value like from the start it should have just been like this is what happened this is how it is this is this person let's like follow them through this journey and there's all these kind of heartbreaking moments where he's talking about how he wants to feel safe in his town right the sadness about not being able to be out in his town the and that it's kind of playing out in this town that he's constructed like in some ways he's like like really an quote-unquote outsider in terms of cross-dressing right that he's a non-professional artist I talked about that a little bit before that he's being classified as mentally ill I don't know if getting angry about like quote having every memory kicked out of your head during a hate crime like I I, I don't know if that equals mental illness but (laughs) I certainly would be angry angry um and there is and that the, it's kind of put as a fantasy world, but I don't know. When you think about like D and D, like Dungeons and Dragons, yeah, or like fantasy football, right? These are activities people engage in where they create elaborate fantasy worlds to live in for hours and hours and hours at a time. Um, part of me wants to know, like, like you can construct your own kind of 
fantasy and also understand reality. Um, yeah. And, and that that's... it's a nonviolent release of his anger and his lust. Yeah. And, and that's kind of where the line is for me in this, is that it, he it's so much about him and his delving into this fantasy world, but I feel like he's too far into it. And he's as a result of that, he's not seeking like the human contact that he needs to actually be getting better. Like there's a point where he's talking to his lawyer and his lawyer says, are you in therapy now? And he says, no. And I'm like, yeah, but you really should be Mark. <laughs> like you, it's great that you have this outlet and I'm, it's very healthy and good that you're doing this, but you should also be talking to actual people and getting professional help. And be maybe looking for a real life relationship with an actual woman instead of just getting fantasizing about all these women in your in your little I guess town. we differ here because if he just wants to fantasize about his town, I'm good. If he's happy, great. Yeah. You know, to each their own in, in some kind of way, right? Yeah, and again, yeah, yeah, he doesn't necessarily have to have like a relationship, you know, to find fulfillment. No, he doesn't. It would be but again, like yeah. there's obviously like some very deep seated like there's some anger trauma. there, there's yeah. trauma. There's a lot of things that, um, as great of a coping mechanism as he's created through this, um, like yeah, a professional would yeah, be he, the he, most. He's going to way he's going to hit a plateau. This, yeah, <laughs> like he even gets to the point where he's like his alter ego within the town suffers the same attack that he suffered and his alter ego within the town is doing the same coping mechanism like his alter ego within the town yes. is making a little town and making little figurines and doing all of his stuff it goes super meta yes. yeah. Marwinception <laughs> how small can it get <laughs> yeah, so I feel like the, the, the this film brings up a lot of interesting questions right that we've kind of been wrangling with and part of my frustration is it's one thing to open up questions. It's a whole other thing to do it about someone's real life lived experience, which is initially why I was more comfortable seeing the drama version of it, right? Because it's a whole level of abstraction. And I, I, from, I haven't seen it and I have not read many reviews, but I think in the Welcome to Marwin, they don't even mention the cross-dressing part or it's just kind of very quickly discarded, right? And so again, the, the narrative film that the narrative film in 2018 can't even handle that he might also be a cross-dresser. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that part of this is all about being a victim of, while not perhaps necessarily a hate crime, certainly um, being uh, abused um, by a group of five other men for cross-dressing. Or admitting that he was a cross-dresser. Yeah, he wasn't cross-dressing at the time. He just admitted to being a cross-dresser and then he was savagely beaten. Um, so this movie reminded me of, I can't remember the episode, but it's a Star Trek episode, so Colin might be able to. Is it Next Generation? Yeah, it is. It's a TNG episode. Um, and it's the one where, um, the, it's like some random, like, officer on the Enterprise, uh, has been going into, like, the holodeck. Oh, Hollow Pursuits. Is that the one? Okay. It's a Lieutenant Barkley episode where he's, like, living out all his fantasies in the holodeck. Yeah. And so, uh, because of that... Yeah. Um, well, it's like he's doing it like specifically like with the crew of yes. the Enterprise, yes. and he's yeah like living out these fantasies like where of being you know, in a seventeenth century painting and one of us on a swing. Well, he'll also have he'll also have yeah. fantasies about like he he can best Commander LaForge because he's his, his commanding officer and stuff, and he's always on his case when he messes up, and like he can gain the affection of Counselor Troy and all these things. It's it's about like this guy kind of having an addiction to the holodeck. Yeah. I felt like it was kind of like 
good this actually felt yes. really similar. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Now that you draw the parallel, yes. I yeah. definitely yeah, yeah. see well it. Well done. Well done. Man, that's a perfect parallel. <laughs> Uh, so, so I might the, need to watch that episode again. Yeah, what watch all you, the Bar- Lieutenant Barkley episodes. That's season three? Season I think it's uh, season, season three. Okay. I don't, I don't remember which of them. Um, but let's talk about the SS for a minute. Because like the only like um, time violence or like any you know bad stuff comes into town, it's brought in or represented by the SS. And they represent different things. Like the first time the SS comes in, they're trying to get to the bar. And... Mm-hmm. To me, I think the first time they show up, they're representing his latent alcoholism. Yes. Because after the attack, he doesn't have any desire to drink, no desire. But before the attack, he was a pretty hardcore alcoholic. And so the SS are coming in like, we want to drink, we want to drink. And they're just a representation of this thing that he's fighting off. And then the next time the SS show up, they are the people who did the attack to him. Because it's the same number of people they are doing the same attack to his alter ego. Mm-hmm. So it's a really interesting thing within his coping mechanism that he's fighting off like a specific enemy that represents his fears yeah, yeah. maybe you should be a therapist Colin <laughs> <laughs> I am <Nope>. not qualified <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no that is uh, and again like you know we all have you know different mechanisms for coping with the things that we deal with in our mm-hmm. lives and uh, I personally am like very fond of you know, Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, I love, you know, creating characters. Yep. It's like one of those things where, you know, I mean, the parallels aren't direct as direct as they are for Mark within this world that he's built. But, yeah, I mean, you can't help putting yourself into, um, like, characters when you're creating characters. Um, or even if you are, you're, like, actively, like, seeking out things of yourself to, like, not put into a character, which I feel like is also an interesting mm-hmm. uh like selective yeah 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 way of selecting (laughs) yeah yeah, uh traits for like characters uh and i feel like it does speak to like fiction and imagination as a therapeutic resource again one resource (laughs) (laughs) and i think that there's a scene where uh, he's talking about what he really wants to wear to his gallery opening is a long chiffon slit skirt, right? And that he kind of can't be out enough to do this. And I wonder if that's part of the reason that they left the reveal to the last half of the, or last third of the movie is because then you see the journey from him being so um, kind of terrified of being out in his town and wearing um, women's shoes in public in particular that by the end you see, look, Triumph, he's wearing... You know, the day he's after the women's. opening, he not he's wearing opening. women's shoes. He's wearing, yeah. you know, he's wearing high heels and um, stockings, and uh, kind of has been able to at least to the New York crowd come out. And he makes a good joke about, oh, it's in Greenwich, he's in Greenwich Village, and he's like, I thought everyone's gonna be like wearing boas and feathers and stuff, and it's like, no, no, it's just all yuppies. <laughs> <laughs> I was on Twitter the other day, and I'm forgetting who um, the artist was, but they like designed this, um, like these two different. Um, like wedding apparel for a friend who's like Mm non-binary and they had like um one that was like this like really cool like um like kind of like tux like tape like slim tux pants Mm -hmm. with like this like cape and i was like oh my god i want to wear a cape if i ever get married i just i just realized that i want to wear a cape whenever get whenever i get married can't you just wear a cape like today i mean (laughs) i don't think i have like the lando vibe enough to like pull that off like are you saying a short cape or a full length cape? Oh, uh, like just a, like a like a full on like you yep. know clips at the collar, like yep. flows down the like, back, like 
floor length cape. Yes, yeah. exactly. One day. See, one I could day. also see you rocking the short Lando cape, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, you know, a day cape and an evening cape. Exactly. All right, all right. All right, we're going to have to get a little shopping list together. Yep. We've got to go over some stuff. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I just love the... Um, I did love his progression by the end of this movie, where he does kind of, like, feel more comfortable. He is... Um, you do kind of see him starting to, like, kind of get in touch with himself for like who he was before this whole thing happened and um, start to let go a little bit of that trauma, which I feel is, um, yeah, it was, it was a good progression. Uh, And even if they, again, could have just started the movie from that point, I can see why they might've done that that way. I agree. agree. (laughs) And I think that about like halfway through the film, because there are all these um, still photographs of the world. And I was like, who's taking these photographs? Are the filmmakers, and again, only 20 minutes in or something, is it introduced, no, 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 Mark himself is the one taking these photographs. I was like, oh, okay, great. And I feel like the film did a nice job differentiating once it was explained, he's the one photographing the stills that he takes versus what the filmmakers are filming. And so they do it a lot with, uh, we watched it um, streaming, so it's a little bit hard to tell because it was a little bit compressed, but I'm not sure if they shot it on 16 millimeter um, film or if they're just, putting it, you know, in After Effects and post, <laughs> post-production, but they're really aiming for, there's kind of rack focus and kind of a hand quality, like a handmade quality to represent his handmade world. Um, like when they're, each character in the film or each person in the film is holding up their doll, for example, that's like them. It's done in this kind of lovingly, kind of grainy hand processed, yeah. light leaks feel to it. And so I thought that was a nice technique that they used. To differentiate between what the filmmakers were filming and what um, the photographs the subject had taken. And they explain like when he's taken those photographs, like he doesn't have a light meter and he doesn't have all these things. So if like something gets wrong, he'll just set up the whole thing and start over and just take another picture. And yes. because he, this is like all he does. He has a part time job where he works like two days a week because that's as much time as he can handle kind of being out in the world. Yeah, rolling meatballs. Yep. <laughs> rolling meatballs and washing dishes. Yeah. Very deftly rolling meatballs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, that was like, that looks good. <laughs> needs to like, get that technique down. Yep. <laughs> Real quick, I'll say it has a 7.6 on IMDb and 82 Metacritic, uh, 98% Rotten Tomatoes, and then 87% Audience Tomatoes. So what are those, what does the jump in all those numbers say to you? <laughs> I think it says, well, the difference between the, Critic score and the audience score to me says one, not very, very many people have seen this movie, mm-hmm. um, and two, that I don't know how people really react to this subject matter. I mean, to him as a guy, or to again, like what you were saying, the fact that it's an hour in before we reveal that he was attacked because he was a crossdresser. Yes. So. And, the, and the, again, pulling apart all these binaries that we have of kind of blurring the lines between so many. Um, yeah, so I don't know if like the general public is as on board for that as critics are. I don't are. know if the general public's watching this. I think it's like an art house. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very much an art house movie. Well, it reminded me again of another movie that we've done, which was Great Gardens, where <laughs> uh, it's... Uh, again, not nearly as <laughs> um, yes, this, this uh-huh. isn't jarring yeah, or nearly as crazy as yeah. Um, but, but it it just like where it just throws you into this person's perspective, this person's life, 
um, without like a whole lot of other context to it. Yes. So uh, I could definitely see how, um, yeah, people might not just immediately gravitate towards it. Just for that reason alone. And it's definitely in that lineage of documentaries about people who have, uh, you know, Great Gardens has definitely been reflected upon in recent years of saying like, hey, are you just making fun of mentally ill people? Is this just like a let's look at the crazy people movie? And so I feel like this movie doesn't necessarily veer all the way into that territory for me. No, yeah, it doesn't feel nearly as, like, exploitative. Yeah, but but this movie does kind of have a thing of like, look at how sad and lonely this man is. Yeah, but... Again, it's a I, I, I feel like it, it does like it does it to an end of him also kind of coming to terms with it a lot does. of things yeah. by the end of yeah. the movie where it's it, not just like we're not just left, you know, at the end of the movie just like, well, fuck. Like, it's <laughs> like, oh, well, like there's like actually like some light at the end of this movie where we actually do get to see that he's coming to his own. Yeah, more. yeah, you do. Whereas in at the end of Grey Gardens, you're just kind of like. Well, shit. Yeah, they're like raccoons just like pouring out of like a hole in the side of their attic. Yeah. You're just like, what the fuck? Yeah. And I hope Mark is safely out cross-dressing in his town. Right? Yeah. But that's what he wants. I, we so can I hope, can't we? Yeah. All right, yeah. Well, when we get back from the break, we'll have some recommendations for you. start with Tara what do you got for us oh, this week okay. uh, I was going to do two, if you liked this film two other films you might want to watch um, so uh, there's a film that's about kind of tra- working through trauma and violence through um, uh, and the kind of layered complex social issues about Vietnam war reenactors in the Pacific Northwest and some people have first served huh. in the Vietnam War and some people are themselves Vietnamese who then emigrated to this country some people were born well after the war, kind of all um, kind of recreating it. It's called In Country, and it's co-directed by Megan O'Hara. Megan, hello. I love you. It's an amazing movie. Everyone should watch it. Very layered. Kind of handles a lot of kind of using fantasy to work through trauma or using kind of re-looks at historical acts to work through trauma. Really interesting movie. Huh. Good movie. Uh, documentary. Um, then uh, the other recommendation, if you like this film, which I haven't seen, but um, uh, through watching this was like, oh, how have I not seen this yet? It's called All Dressed Up and No Place to Go from 2015. And it's a documentary about four hetero men who occasionally, and some of them more frequently, wear women's clothes. And it's supposed to be a very kind of intimate and thoughtful portrait of um, kind of crossdressers. I think it takes place in Montreal. So Interesting. Yes. All Dressed Up and No Place <coughs> to Go. It's on... I don't know, one of the streaming platforms that I saw. <laughs> you can find it somewhere. <laughs> it's somewhere. <laughs> Look it up. Yep. All right, Colin, what do you got for us this week? Um, I'll recommend a podcast. It's called Behind the Bastards, um, where they dig into the history and the background of just terrible, terrible people and mm. uh, some of the things that they've done. Uh, they most recently did a two-part episode on Alfred Hitchcock, mm. uh, which is very interesting. And boy, that guy was messed up. Um, but <laughs> let's, if you enjoy learning about like 
really terrible people uh listen to behind the bastards it's they always have like one comedian on there who doesn't know anything about the thing so it's not just like oh let's delve into like this darkness forever there's somebody there making it funny so so listen to that yeah we were joking that for the podcast that we have to maybe not talk about all the horrible things that most of the people in the films that we're reviewing have done yeah so we have to kind of rein it in unless it's directly relatable to the film itself to just uh, so I'm glad that someone else is doing that work. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Hmm. So I was going to recommend a show, but now that you do your podcast, I actually remember one that I just started listening to that I quite enjoy. It's called Never Seen It with Kyle Ayers. And it is a podcast where they bring on a comedian and they have them um, write a script for a movie that they've never seen. So Ooh, like this fun. sounds yeah. so far up my alley. It's <laughs> so, finding yeah. my parking space. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the latest one is uh, Joel Kim Booster has never seen The Revenant, um, and Joel Kim Booster is hilarious. And I've never seen The Revenant, so I think that might be my first introduction to it because that seems like hilarious. I think all you need to do is listen to that podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah you don't need to see The Revenant. <laughs> there was one that I saw. It was uh, I'm forgetting what the one that I was first listened to. Um, it was someone who'd never seen Harry Potter, and it was just like, <laughs> like the way that they had it was like Dumbledore was like some like old guy who's like trying to be like hip with like the young kids. And <laughs> it was just it was crazy. It was really good though. Um, so yeah, I would recommend that. Um, there's yeah a bunch of really great comedians on here. Josh Gondelman looks like's been on here. Dan Harmon, Ryan Singer. Um, yeah, so it's, um, yeah, never seen it with Kyle Ayers. Recommend it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that about wraps us up. Um, it looks like we're all good on Marvin Call. We got our recommendations going. So I think it's about time for us to go. We're finishing our first episode of the new year of 2019. So, uh, yeah, if you are out there listening to us right now, you can give us a follow. We are on all of the podcasting platforms. Everywhere that you catch your pods, you can find us. The Podbeans, the Stitchers, the SoundClouds, the Spotify. Uh, we're working on getting on Pandora. We'll see how that works out. Fingers crossed. Um, but we are uh, online on Twitter at IWITWT. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash IWITWT. Um, hopefully we'll have a website here coming up soon so that way we can get everything in one consolidated place. I'll be working on that. Um, and you can find both Colin and I online individually. I am at Catharticus. I am at Colin Munch. And Tara is not online. You can email her, <laughs> do things like that. She's very professional. So, you know. All I'm the a fun teacher. Stuff. I try and divide things out a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you like... <laughs> If anyone like between us like has absolutely no time to be like online, it's really like you because you actually like my job's pretty boring. It's whatever. I can like <laughs> sit on my job half the day and like be on Twitter if I really wanted to. But like you've got like students and like papers and <laughs> Yeah. Yep. So yeah. Um, yeah, that will wrap up our first episode for 2019. And you guys have a good one. Bye.